We are black we food are folks. Black food we are folks. black food folks. Welcome back to Black Desserts. I'm your host, Trace Nelson, and today I'm talking with the incomparable Paula Velez. Our conversation with Paula was so dope, we decided it had to be its own episode. She's currently executive pastry chef at Compass Rose, Maidan, and La Bodega Bakery in Washington, D.C. And her accolades are numerous and have garnered her immediate attention and awards, including being a semifinalist for the James Beard Rising Star Chef Award. One of her most notable projects, Bakers Against Racism, which has reimagined the bake sale and deputized thousands of bakers globally to raise millions of dollars for the Black Lives Matter movement during the summer of 2020. What you hear in this candid conversation is the numerous life experiences that led Paula to that project and how Bakers Against Racism is a natural evolution from the kind of care and thoughtfulness that she approaches every area of her life with. Just a quick note to our listeners, this interview took place remotely, so please forgive some of the audio quality throughout the episode. And with that, here's Paula. So I grew up in the culinary industry, right? In New York, my mom's cousin who had these like Tex-Mex restaurants, and I would have a booth reserved. Like my mom could watch me and make sure that I was okay all the time so I could sit down and then I would do my homework there and I would always choose the booth that was, you know, the closest to the kitchen. Because I just I just stared and I would see the flames. I would see them like pushing out all this food. Mm. And my parents and I, we, we formed this bond where they would teach me history and teach me world history. And they would show me uh, the world through New York City. And we would go to Chinatown and learn about Chinese history and culture the difference between Mandarin and Cantonese, how to use chopsticks. They would teach me about Polish cuisine. They would teach me about African cuisine. I learned how to make fufu back then. My mom and my stepdad would then teach me all about, you know, the Black Panthers, Martin Luther King, Black innovators to help me fit in. But I, I did not fit in anywhere. I was too Black for the Latinx community. I was too Latinx for the Black community. So I sat in this limbo and I was very introspective because they realized that in having this displacement in what it meant to be me, they told me, we need to teach you everything that you would have learned with your peers. But because you don't fit in certain narratives, you're alone. And that transformed who I was as a person. But my parents, they saw an opportunity and they moved to Orlando. And when I tell you it was apples and oranges, I was exposed to the arts. I was exposed to music, theory, to cooking classes, home ec, you know. And that opened up so many possibilities, right? And I had turned on scholarship uh, my last year. And I was mom, I'm going to take a, a year and I'm going to travel. And she was like, the, no, you're not. You know, she's like, who's going to travel where? You need to travel when you have an education. You can travel to your job and to school. And I was like, oh, okay, mom. Okay. So I was like, can I then, can I switch what I want to pursue? Can I do culinary? 
and she goes, Paola, they will never make us chefs. There's no pathways to success in that career for us. There's something so profound about that. Your mom is noticing the grind of being in this industry herself and the inequities and challenges that exist. I'm fascinated by this because it's a story we don't talk about enough. That there are people who work their whole lives in this industry and achieve success even without notoriety. But then there's your mom who's saying to you, there's no real pathway to success. So what do you say to her to convince her, no, like this is the right move for me? I told her, I don't want to be a chef. I just want to cook. And I, and I was, to the point in my career, before I took the leap and started applying to executive pastry chef jobs and pastry chef jobs, I was comfortable in being a supporting role behind the scenes, letting my work shine through somebody else's. And that, to me, was 110% my calling. And back then when I was, you know, 17, I remember my mom telling me that. And it was like 20 years of seeing the same people being in the same positions. That's right. Right? So she was like, no, mommy, there's no, there's nothing there for you. But she sat down and, you know, after talking with my stepdad and he told her, he's like, you came here to have more opportunities because you didn't think in the Dominican Republic there would be enough opportunities. But when you do have a child to open up these pathways and doors. So while you were hoping that you were gonna get a doctor, an engineer, somebody that was an architect. We should at least let her try. And I, I kept committing. It didn't work out at first. I, I kept getting hired under minimum wage, which is 100% illegal. I was fired once because I asked for it on Sunday off because I wanted to go to church. They just fired me. They were like, no, thank you. Go. Mm. And yet, because I, I, at the very least, I thought maybe if I have a culinary degree, somebody would say, at least she's qualified. If they were desperate enough, they would hire me. It took a long time when I moved back to New York to get a, a real culinary job. Cue all of the jobs that were horrendous. I would try to apply to even just like local bakeries. I'm talking about like your regular run of the mill. I'm just putting frosting on some cupcakes bakery. And they were like, no, thank you. We do not hire your type of people. Yeah. And when was that moment when you knew you were finding your own voice? Was that a mentor or one job that enabled you to excel? So my time at Jacques Torres was inspiring. I had started working with Jacques Torres. That was actually my first pastry job. I had, uh, I had switched working nights and doing like line cooking. So I was like, let me, let me see if somebody from pastry will hire me. And I went to the chocolate factory with Jacques Torres and I would like to work here. Uh, yes, I have some experience and yes, I've moved up in the ranks, but I want to give it up if you're willing to hire me. And Jacques didn't look at me and say, why do you think you should work here? He just said, what school did you go to? I said, look what I'm doing. He's like, I like that. You can start next week. Okay, cool. Four months in, Jacques was like, I have never met somebody as dedicated 
and committed. And it would be amiss if I didn't ask you to be my pastry sous. He had his partner, he had another pastry sous who was with him for like 10 years, Chef Paul. But then he was like, but you're just too good. So four months in, he made me his youngest pastry sous in his company. And when I tell you I took that opportunity and I held it, I was like, if this is the only thing on planet Earth that I get ever given to me, it's enough. I could be a pastry sous forever. So when I tell you that I, I was comfortable being somebody's supporting role forever, it never occurred to me that I could also be a Jacques. Never. And um, I worked like crazy and I gave everything up. And I moved to D.C. not knowing what would happen. Was it easy? No. Did I go in and tell people I worked for Jacques Torres? So blah, blah. No. I kept my mouth shut. I, looked, I just focused. I was the first one in, last one out. I just kept working. Yes, ma'am. Yes, ma'am. So you moved to D.C. Can you talk a little bit about what that transition was like? Was it easy to find work or was it like starting all over again? I remember getting contacted for a pastry chef job. And uh, I was so excited because I had somebody come to me. I've always applied and I was getting rejected like crazy. And uh, I got there and they looked at me and they said, well, you just don't fit the part. You don't look like you can represent us in the media. But would you be willing to work as the station lead for pastry under the pastry chef that we choose? And when I tell you I had to train old girl, I had to teach old girl how to do things. I was livid. I was hot. And I said, if I can do this, I can do her job. So I knew, I knew I was capable, but there was impediments, roadblocks that would limit me because I don't slick my hair back when I go to an interview. I don't, I, I don't adjust or contour my face to seem different than it is. Yeah. And sometimes to this day, there are people that want me to work with them, but then they meet me or work with me and they're like, oh, we thought you were more polished. And I'm like, ain't nothing unpolished about me. There's nothing undone about me. I thought you were more polished. You seem very unprofessional right now. Hello, excuse me. This is discrimination. You shouldn't be talking about anything other than my work. Mm. Nothing besides my work you should be worried about. But I just needed to know, like I needed to figure out how to get through the hurdle of people judging my cover before they saw the contents of my story. So how, how do I do that, right? So I started building my um, Instagram profile and I started looking at how to build portfolios, but how to build um, things that were tangible, that people could see. That's right. So every time that I created a dessert uh, at home, I would document it. If I made a beautiful Cornell, I'd take a picture of it. I would build my presence digitally and both in a portfolio format. I had a website. I had my own side gates that I would continuously prove my value and my worth in case somebody asked. I was ready. Couple that with understanding that you're a master of your craft and knowing that nobody could ever come into you and say, you don't know how to, well then show me the ratios. Explain to me how to break this down properly, right? 
there's a boldness. If I'm going to be who I am, I got to be about it. I got to learn. I am making sure that I'm diligently learning how to replicate an original dish to the tea before I influence it. That's right. My favorite was, what do you think? Why do you think you should work here? Well, I think that I should work here based off of this. And I would present them with the facts. I would present them with my work. Because that interview where I should have been the pastry chef, they told me I was too black for the position. And when I tell you they hired a blonde-haired, blue-eyed young lady who's now very nice, but in that position, she was very different. And I confronted her. I was like, ma'am, I've been a manager since I was 21. This is not how you manage people. I have supported you throughout your role, hoping that you would rise up into, into this role and that because of it, somebody would notice me. But you're treating me unfairly and I'm giving you everything that I know. So the minute that I cut that off, she was out. I remember finally having enough. I was like, I mean, this is too much. Like the owner being like, excuse me, Missy Elliott. What are you, what are you making today? He would like, he would sit down, he would pull up a chair by my station and berate me and how I did things. And, and I'd be like, sir, my name is not Missy Elliott. Also, I have a name. You, you, you should, I've been here with you for 11 months and you haven't learned my name. That, that tells me everything I need to know. And I was, I was fed up. I, was, I can't do this anymore. Yeah. And I went on 16 interviews, each one, them pointing out why I couldn't work for them. One person saw me take off my coat and said, we filled the position. And later that day, reposted the job. I was like, what is going on? So I went to one place, you know, they were interviewing me. And the chef owner was there and he was like, why should I hire you? And I, I like almost like a cry for help. And I said, please don't end this interview. If anything, just let me show you what I can do. Get me into a stage. Let me show you my Instagram, my, my portfolio. Please look at, look at what I can do. I've been on so many interviews and I'm tired of, of being cast aside before I can even prove to you who I am places that I've stayed at the longest, they will vouch for me, please. And he looked on my Instagram and he's like, you can make all of this stuff and I was like, this and more. But I, I, I will make sure that I represent you in the media equitably and fairly and I will talk about your establishment however you want me to talk about it. I, I will create desserts that you will never imagine. Flavor combinations that are out of this world. And he said, can you start today? I was like, absolutely. I, I just, I'm honored for the opportunity. And I finally started out as a pastry chef. And you know, the first pastry, official pastry chef job. And people blown away. They were like, you are making these things? That's right. And now I'm faced with turning points in my career where I have to choose. Do I choose self or do I choose community? Because at this point, the minute that I started getting better jobs and opportunities, I could have stopped there. 
I could have stopped there. Ten said, you know, I've suffered through so much. I've gone through so much. Woe is me. This is what's happening. And then I become inward and I only want to do things to benefit me. But that has never been my charge. I have never been mean. I have never had to promote this outward show of strength. My knowledge is my strength and that will carry me. There could be two of us doing the same thing and we both can be great. We'll be right back after this message from our sponsor. For a twist on a traditional recipe, Talenti Gelato and Sorbeto's growing collection of gelato layers brings a unique experience in every jar. Layered with our slow-cooked gelato flavors, indulgent sauces and ingredients like chocolate-covered caramel truffles, brown butter sugar sauces, or shortbread cookie pieces, it makes for an unforgettable flavor in every spoonful. Visit TalentiGelato.com for store locations and delivery partners to enjoy the rich taste of gelato done right. you said about being a boss and in particular the pastry world and I'd love if you could talk a little bit about finding language to speak up for yourself no matter what the power structure is I am a brown black presenting Afro-Latina say less say less I have everything against me because if you don't think that I am one minority you definitely see me as another minority right you see my resume, and back then my name, my maiden name was Paola Orquidia de la Cruz, right? So they would see me, and if they took the chance, right, I knew how to code switch. I still do. I, I joked around, and I said I sound like a, a Betty White from the Bronx. Hello? I show up, and they're like, oh, hell no, what is this? I promise you, sometimes they would rip up the resume right in front of my face or interrogate me and say, why do you think you deserve to be here. And I'm like, why do you need somebody to be here? Hello? For for uh, money? What do you think? <laughs> and I said, why am I holding back on sharing what I know and feel? For who? For a job interview? Well, that never helped me before. For For a company that don't care about me, that won't ever learn my name, or doesn't know anything that makes me mean. Why? Why should I be afraid of speaking out? I remember one lady said, may I speak to the pastry chef? Here I come out, you know, with a little flower on my apron. Okay. I come outside and she said, no, no, I want to speak to the pastry chef. And I was like, ma'am, that's me. Nice to meet you. How may I help you? Is there a complaint or a concern that I should be worried about? She goes, have you ever been to Italy? No, ma'am. Little Italy in the Bronx, that's about it. Little Italy in Manhattan, that's about it. This is the best panna cotta that I've had since I've been in Italy. Flattered me. Thank you. But next time, if you're offering a compliment, 
Don't ask me where I'm from. That's right. Have a good day. This desserts on me. Goodbye. Her mouth was open, agape. Because I, not only did I conquer dessert, because I had the power to do that. I was like, you're not paying for this dessert. I'm glad you enjoyed it, but do not ever disrespect me in my place of work ever again. Wow. Yeah. There's something so critical about this season. It's a bias and it's power to disempower folks. So for you to be able to find your voice so clearly to confront this woman and call out her bias and microaggression is huge. In that instance, you advocated for yourself so beautifully. Absolutely. Like if you look at my resume, it's all over the place, right? Because I would be abused or belittled and I would ask my mom and she's like, don't stay there, leave, you know? Which to the average, you know, white presenting manager, they look at this and they're like, unreliable. And I'm like, no, trauma hurt. And yet I still would be able to grab all that, the knowledge that I needed to grab from that place. And I would write everything down. They wouldn't give me recipes, but I would write everything down. And I kept going. I would be like, okay, I'm going to, I'm going to go and I'm going to apply and get hired. And I might face the same trauma, but I'm, I, this time I know what to look for. Right. So I would keep adapting and adjusting, but it taught me how to be a better boss in the end. Right. Because there's so many ways now that I could be like, can I have this done, please? And thank you. And et cetera, et cetera. And then people feel like human beings and they want to stay with me. Right. My consistency comes from treating people like people. And then my cooks, they make sure that everything is consistent. It's consistent out of the respect that they have for the respect that I have for them. Because they want to see me succeed as much as I want to see them succeed. That's right. Yes, all of that. And very early on, I said, if I have the opportunities to be where I need to be, if I speak out, then maybe others won't go through what I went through, right? So I speak out and I talk about what, happens in the industry and I share and it's such a a harsh reality that we are still going through so whenever like younger chefs come to me and ask me for advice I'm like we're not doing this for us (laughs) we're still going to be through so much pain but maybe two generations from now it'll be different and that's all I can hope for I don't do this for now I if I did it for me now then I would shut the doors too And I would focus on self. That's right. And thank you so much for lifting up those rare moments of clarity that really shape you. I feel like those wins and losses both inform us in profound ways. I love to talk about your desserts. There's something so rooted and inspired in the desserts you've created, on top of just being visually stunning. And I love for you to talk about how your life influences have shaped them. So... For me, like, I'm just trying to preserve our history because I started seeing that in our food ways being more trendy, we were being erased. There was an erasure that was happening and people would make something as simple as a flan and not know the origins. They'd be like, I think it's Mexican. I'm like, no, baby, this is rooted in Africa. You didn't know that. So as a uh, Dominican American, I had to figure out who I was 
identity wise. But I didn't understand because when you think about it, you crack the surface and you're like Dominican, Dominican Republic, mango, salami, rice and beans, you know, the legumes that we eat. But why? Why do we eat these things that aren't native to our island? We should be eating coconut all the time. Why don't we have Taino ancestry in our bloodline? Why do we not have natives in our bloodline? Why do I look the way that I look? But also, what does it mean to be from the Dominican Republic? So I started realizing that I needed to find my way back to black. I started learning where we came from, why we eat the things that we eat, how to preserve our culture through the transatlantic slave trade. And I was like, oh, I have to introduce people to the food that makes us happy, right? That makes us who we are as people, flavor profiles. And then I realized all of the pastries are colonized, everything. So now my mission is to decolonize what you think is yours. So I decolonize your desserts. I infuse them with flavor profiles that you have no business understanding because you guys went throughout the whole daggone world and still you only know how to use cinnamon. Lord Jesus, be offense. Vanilla bean and cinnamon. That's it. That's all you took from coming into our countries and being up in a place that you had no business being in? No, no, no. So I'm gonna take your coke and bush and I'm gonna make it with puff puff. And I'm gonna make a puff and bush. And you're gonna learn this Nigerian street food, but you're gonna see it presented in a way that only French pastries were presenting them at the time. Beautiful. Beautiful, it's the same. Flour, butter, sugar, eggs. All the same ingredients that you have, we have. But we have the upper hand, baby, flavor. Yep. So when I tell you, I take, I go into other cultures. I do, I do, and I do unapologetically because you came into my country. You came into Africa and you ripped my ancestors from their lands and you placed them and you put them in the Dominican Republic, the island of, of Hispaniola. You put Haitians and Dominicans, put us against each other. So I don't have to respect your cuisine because you never respected ours. But one thing I will never apologize for is for doing what I do with my craft. That is my boldness. That is my power. That is what I will take to the bank and cash it every single time. And I know that if there are white counterparts that don't know how to do the things that I, that I do, that's my protection. Because now you guys know what I'm capable of. So there's nobody out here that's gonna say, that's mine. I created that dish. I'm like, when did you create it? When, when, when did you create it? Because as it stands, before you guys came to us, y'all were eating different. Give credit where it's due. How are you telling me you like using corn flour in something when the Aztecs were the ones who created corn? So when I say I, I put 
my culture and my dessert. I'm not talking about passion fruit. That's not it. I'm talking about the history and the knowledge that our ancestors had to hide and pass down secretly as we learned how to adapt into diverse cultures. And I have to set up the foundation of what I want to talk about, what I'm willing to do with my desserts and what these desserts mean to me. This isn't just food. This is legacy. That's right. That's right. Everything that my mom had worked for, everything that my grandparents did, everything that my ancestors who had to be pulled away that were distraught being away from their home and being dropped off in the Dominican Republic and made into slaves had to endure. This is so much bigger than me because the fact that I'm here is a testament to their sacrifice. They figured a way to endure and here we are, diverse. The African diaspora scattered throughout all lands the African diaspora, the boldness of our ancestors who were torn from their birthright. So for me, this is so much bigger that this struggle isn't just a struggle that is my, my own. It has been burdened and cursed upon us generation through generation through generation through generation. And we don't understand why we struggle so much, but it's, it's the powers that be that put us in these positions so we speak out. I will speak out for my industry on the oppression and the mistreatment of women of color, black women in the industry who I have seen not only struggle, but be destroyed. Nobody would know. So I, I see all of these things and I saw all of the injustices happening to me. I started speaking up, calling people out. And I speak out because I want other women, other men in the industry who look like me, who resonate with me. This is for you. I do this for you. I do this for you. I do it so that every time I speak, it just takes two or three of us to keep doing it. And that trickle effect creates two or three more people to the point that then in two generations, our industry will be different. I will be gray and old. And I will say, I did something good. So much of what Paula had to say resonated with me. This conversation really got me thinking about how we show up in the culinary world. So often, chefs get consumed by the desire for visibility and the power of celebrity that they forget about having something valuable to say once they get it. Power is so relentlessly rooted wherever she shows up and uses every opportunity she has to speak as an opportunity to be impactful. She manages to be undeniably genuine and true to herself and her origins. One of the things I admire most about Paola is her ability to lead with such empathy and her ability to empower others to express their humanity. She is vulnerable in a space and industry that often doesn't allow for mistakes. Paola, we all thank you.
Desserts is a special Black Food Folk series presented by Clay Williams and Colleen Vincent with support from Amber Mayfield and Melandra Hasick, produced by the brilliant creative team at Weststone Media. You can learn more about this episode at blackfoodfolks.com. And if you like what you're hearing and feel inclined, please spread the word about the series, rate and comment on the show, and tune in again in two weeks for more Black Desserts. I'm your host, Therese Nelson. Thanks for listening.